RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Ninja man with a ninja stick. <laughs> He's not going to die. Oh, fuck! Police shooting in Los Angeles. I just told you to treat. You see me on a lady, I'm like, all right, you don't talk like a lady like that. You're going to just certainly say, can you please get off my lawn? But you didn't. You're like, get out of my lawn, you freaking cunt. That's not what I said. Yeah, you did. I heard you. Shut the fuck up. You were even there. And in Anaheim, California, an off-duty LAPD officer pulls his gun out and fires a warning shot over a dispute of someone walking on his lawn. Did that officer fear for his life, or was that officer in the wrong? We talk about it here tonight on Beyond the Badge. And welcome to Beyond the Badge. I am your host, Vincent Hill. Of course, it's Tuesday. It's 8 p.m. I missed you. I was out last week due to other obligations. I had some news stories I had to cover here in Atlanta. Guess what? Involving police and involving two separate police shootings, and I'll talk about those here for just a second because they're not the story for tonight's show, uh, but the very first uh, shooting I covered here in Atlanta was uh, the, sh- the shooting death of uh, an individual where police uh, approached this individual for whatever reason he was parked at the police annex. I believe his friend or someone was inside retrieving some retrieving some property or, or something to that effect. Two uh, plainclothes officers get out of their vehicle One of the officers is walking towards the building. The other officer beelines towards the car. And when you watch the video, you can actually see at some point the individual who was on the passenger side began to get out. Uh, For whatever reason, he resisted. He struggled. One of the officers follows the individual into the car. Uh, You can see the car pull off because the individual that was in the car jumped to the driver's side, sped off. Uh, And in the video, you can see a car that had just backed in. And that driver actually ducking down behind his car. So that tells you there were shots fired uh, inside that vehicle. Uh, Make a long story short, the individual did die. The individual was black. So, of course, you know what happened here in Atlanta with the protests and everything else. Uh, So I got a chance to talk about the video. And, you know, I got to tell you, it's not looking good right now for those officers. And let's just clear the air. The officers in this instance were also black Uh, But their original report was that uh, the officer was hanging out of the car, basically hanging on for dear life as the vehicle fled and he was in fear of his life. So he fired and there was a gun in the car. But when you watch the video and I got a chance to to demonstrate live and a reenactment and also talk about uh, the case, when you watch it, the officer's not hanging out of the vehicle. You, You can clearly see in the video that he's fully in the vehicle It appeared that the passenger side door, the door he went in, was actually closed. And granted, yes, APD did recover a gun inside the vehicle. But according to reports, the gun was found on the passenger side floorboard. Now, the individual uh, that was shot and killed was not a very tall man. And I demonstrated this on CBS 46. Uh, What that officer is going to have to do in this case, is prove that he was in fear of his life, right? Because we can eliminate the fact that he wasn't being drugged down the street at a high rate of speed. We can surmise that 
maybe, just maybe, he could have put the car in park or done something like that to control the much smaller suspect because the officer involved was was pretty muscular, pretty tall. Um, but most importantly, he's going to have to articulate that he was in fear of his life based on the gun because now you can't say you were in fear for your life for, for uh, hanging out of the vehicle and fear that you would fall off and get ran over or anything like that. You have to prove you were in fear of your life for the gun that you say was found on the passenger side floorboard, which is the same side the officer was in. And if you're in the driver's seat, as this individual was, to me, it's kind of hard to articulate how that officer was in fear of his life at that exact moment based on the gun. Now, to be fair and, you know, unbiased, like I said in my report, hey, the video doesn't show what happened once that car got out of range. It doesn't show that. You only see the con the initial contact. You see the struggle. You see him jumping the driver's side. You see the officer going after him, and you see the car take off. So could it be that at some point the individual reached for the gun? Absolutely, it could be. Could it be the fact that the gun was somewhere else before it ended up on the passenger side of the floorboard? Absolutely. But based on the video, the officer has a lot of explaining to do to say, yes, I was in fear of my life. I thought there was an imminent threat against my life or my person based on the handgun. Now, it could be, realistically, that the individual went for the gun, the officer fought him off, and the gun was dropped. Or the individual had the gun on his person and went for it and the officer shot him, and that's when the gun fell to the floorboard. We don't know. It's too early in the investigation. Um, but what I will say is, I don't want the city of Atlanta jumping to conclusions. I don't want his family jumping to conclusions. Let the investigation happen. Let the evidence be the evidence. And then we'll see what it is. But you can't determine it just based on the minute and 37 seconds of that video, which again doesn't capture the shooting. Now the next shooting I, I talked about, and this one was really strange to me, there was an individual who was visiting town with his family. I guess they were here for uh, motocross or, or something like that. Uh, but there was an officer who was directing traffic who fired his gun at this individual, the driver, shot him in the arm, I believe, or maybe the chest, uh, because the officer said that the car kept coming at him, and I guess he felt threatened. Now, here's... A lot of red flags with this, in my opinion. There's no witnesses that say, hey, the car was traveling at a high rate of speed, and it appeared that this officer was a target, right? So keep in mind, it's 1030 at night. There's people just getting out of this motor sports event. There's traffic everywhere. There's really not an opportunity for traffic to be able to speed down the street where this happened, right? So... According to APD Atlanta police, the officer was wearing a reflective vest, which he very well could have been. Uh, there's some discrepancies on that story. But the bigger issue is the officer and the individual that was shot gave a statement after he got back home to North Carolina that said, hey, the reports are not true. We were traveling at a safe rate of speed. At some point, the officer actually stood in front of them he was not always in front of them, and he said he could clearly see the officer, 
and did not think he was doing anything erratic to suggest that the officer was a threat, and for whatever reason, the officer fired his weapon. Now, remember what I have always said. Anytime you pull the trigger, whether the person dies or they live, you have used deadly force. So for this officer to keep his job, to not face charges, will have to articulate why he used deadly force, why he thought there was a threat there to say, oh, if I don't shoot this individual, I'm going to die. Because here's what a good attorney would say. Well, the vehicle wasn't traveling at a high rate of speed. You had plenty of area to retreat if you thought the vehicle was coming at you. There were other witnesses that said he wasn't traveling at a high rate of speed. Mr. Officer, how did you feel feel that you were in fear of your life? And that's going to be an uphill battle for this officer. Of course, he's on administrative leave as all shootings are, but that's going to be an uphill battle. It's not as easy as is uh, the one I just talked about where the, the gun in the car and the individual who had warrants and they found marijuana on him and he fought with the officer. You can kind of articulate maybe needing to use deadly force in a situation like that. But a situation where at most the van may have been going 15, 20 miles an hour and best the officer had plenty of room to move right, left or back if need be or flash his flashlight to signal the driver, which all officers that have directed traffic in the middle of the night have had to do, that's going to be a hard case for this officer to articulate, in my opinion. Now let's switch gears to Los Angeles. And I I played the sound clip at the very top of the show about an officer-involved shooting in Los Angeles uh, that happened a few days ago. And... Right at the beginning of that soundbite, you could hear the male individual that was taping this on his cell phone saying, oh, he's not going to die. And two seconds later, you hear gunshots. And the cynical part of me kind of chuckled at it. Um, But I'm going to post the video on my Twitter at Vincent Hill TV and watch it for yourself. Um, The reason that individual died, because let's look at all the evidence, all the facts, right? So police get a call, 911 call, about a man with a four to five foot metal pipe pacing around a restaurant out in Los Angeles. What did police do when they get this call? They show up. So if you watch the entire video, and it's only about a minute long, but if you watch the entire video, you can see and hear the officers doing what they're trained to do. Now, granted, yes, they have their weapons out at the low ready. And then they have their weapons out, trained at the target, aimed at the target, the individual. And some people will say, why? Well, let's remember, a four to five foot lead metal pipe is, guess what? A deadly weapon. So they get this call. The individual is acting erratic. He has his lead pipe. He's arguing with another individual. The officers tell him several times to drop the weapon. And that's exactly what it is. It's a weapon. It's a lead pipe. You don't think people have been killed by lead pipes? You best believe they have. You don't believe officers have been assaulted by lead pipes? You best believe they have. So as you watch the video, the individual approaches the two LAPD officers. And guess what? That's when you hear the shots. Now, 
most people probably haven't heard this because based on the video, it appears that the the man was A, older, and B, Caucasian, and the officers appear to be Caucasian. So, of course, no one wants to hear about that because, you know, police don't shoot white people, according to some mainstream media. It only happens in the black community. But in my opinion, and I'm sure there will be an investigation and as there should be with any police shooting. But in my opinion, that shooting, whether you like it or not, based on what weapon the individual had, was a justifiable shooting because the minute you approach an officer with deadly force, whether that is your intention or not, the officer has no way of knowing that. The officer's not going to wait for you to get two inches away from him and say, oh, you know what, officer? I know you asked me to drop this like 10 times, but I'm tripping. I'm going to go ahead and drop it right now. If I've asked you five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times to drop your weapon, but yet you continue to act erratic, what do you think my mindset is as you approach me? You're not coming here to shake my hand or to get a training card or to get a piece of bubble gum. My mindset is your intention is to hurt, maim, or kill me with said weapon. So the officers reacted the way they were supposed to. You've heard me say say this before. I'll say it again. Officers react to deadly force with deadly force. But I'll go one bigger because some people believe that tasers are the answer. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. Tasers are not always the answer. People don't always react to tasers like you see in the TV and you see in the movies where they just flop to the ground. I've seen it personally where tasers don't affect people. You can YouTube a ton of videos where they don't affect people. And the LAPD attempted to use a taser here. Now, looking at the video and watching this individual's actions, the one that was shot, to me, it's apparent he was either under the influence of a uh, narcotic or he was psychotic. He had mental issues. And those two types of individuals don't always react to a taser the way someone that is not under the influence or not that doesn't have mental issues, psychotic issues. It's happened. It happens a lot. So people think, oh, tasers, tasers are the answer. They didn't have to shoot them. Well, they did try a taser, which is less than lethal force on this individual, and it didn't work. So what was the other option as this individual was approaching with deadly force to use deadly force? So here's a few things to, to consider here. Uh, and I'll post this video on my Twitter as well at Vincent Hill TV on Twitter. This is Los Angeles. And we know since 1991, people have been recording the LAPD. These officers knew that there was either a camera on the street as in surveillance camera, or they knew, especially in Los Angeles, that someone was going to have a cell phone video. But those officers did not let that affect their decision of what they thought was a justifiable shooting, what they thought was a threat against their life, nor should they have because everything was by the book in accordance with the use of force policy. Remember, 
you don't have to go through all eight steps before using deadly force. You don't go to verbal commands, which they were already giving anyway, once someone is approaching you with a deadly weapon. You can immediately jump to deadly force, and that's what happened here in this case in Los Angeles. And I think if this does get investigated, I think these officers will be cleared. And again, I don't think we'll see any uproar about this because the color of the skin doesn't meet mainstream media's agenda. Let me go. You're touching on my shirt. I know. You know that. Let me go. No. Why are you picking Try to be here. You hit me. You're going to be me on the ground. Why are you talking about me? Okay, that was a little more soundbite from the incident in Anaheim where the off-duty LAPD officer pulled out his weapon and fired what appears to be a warning shot uh, at this this teenager, these group of teenagers. And again, I'll post a video on my Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, I, I watched this in its entirety, and yeah, I, I, I gotta say, this guy gives officers a bad rap, and you can hear some of his language, the f word, uh, with these teenagers and with the individual he was dealing with. But let me give you the background. So apparently uh, there were some kids walking on his grass, which happens. We've seen the commercial, get off my lawn. We've seen that in movies, right? There's people that take that very seriously. Uh, so there are a group of kids walking on this officer's lawn. Uh, he comes out and apparently says something to one of the females the individual that the officer is struggling with uh, said something to him like, hey, don't talk to a lady like that. And this is when it all goes to hell. And the officer comes out in plain clothes with sunglasses, with a flannel shirt and a white T-shirt. If I didn't know any better, I would think he was a gang member. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, comes out, grabs the, the teen. The teen's like, hey, what are you doing? I just said, treat, it, you know, treat the lady like. You tackled me, and I don't know if you heard what I just played in that soundbite, but it's very important, and I'll tell you how important it is here in just a second. But you can hear the teen say, you tackled me like you're a cop, but you're not a cop. And at the very beginning of the video, the teen says, hey, my dad's a cop. And the guy's like, I don't care. I don't care your dad's a cop. This is what the officer's saying. But to me, it's important that the teen said, you tackled me like a cop, but you're not a cop, because it tells me that... At no point did this off-duty officer say he was the police. Now, is it known in the neighborhood that he's police? Probably, more than likely. I'm sure people have seen him going in his uniform. I'm sure his patrol car has been there a few times. But when you're detaining someone, and this is what this officer did because the entire video, he has his hands on the teen. He's holding him where he cannot get away. I don't know what the reason was because I don't even know if he called police ahead of time, but he's clearly uh, detaining this teen. Uh, it gets a little physical. A bunch of other teens come up. One pushes the officer. He falls down while still holding the teen. Then you can see him struggling to get his weapon out, and then he fires a shot. He says it's a warning shot, but here's the thing. I don't know any department in the country, at least where I was trained and other departments that I know of, where you can fire a warning shot. That is like 
so 1989-89 lethal weapon type stuff where you shoot warning shots. I'll go even further. That's like Charlie's Angels 1976 type stuff. Police departments don't teach warning shots anymore. So based on a simple incident of someone walking over this officer's grass, he decides, because I'm going to eliminate the whole warning shot theory, he decides to use deadly force. Now, he can argue that he felt threatened for his life, but at the end of the day, guess who started the entire thing? At no point did you identify yourself as police. While you're off-duty, acting at that point as a civilian, you technically have no arrest-slash-detain authority. Now, when I was working narcotics, even when I was in patrol and I was off-duty or in plain clothes, I never approached someone unless I was working narcotics and I had backup officers and all of that other stuff, especially off-duty, I never went up to someone and said, I'm detaining you just because. You don't do that. You don't go from someone walking on your lawn to a deadly force situation because that's what it was. The minute that gun came out of his waistband, it became a deadly force situation. Now, could the officer had said, I was in fear of my life? Mm, maybe. You watch a video, determine it for yourself. But I think this officer was dead wrong. He didn't identify himself as the police. More importantly, he didn't just call the police. He was the one acting non-professional, using derogatory statements towards the girl walking on his lawn and dropping the F-bomb in front of these kids, get your effing hands off me, shut the F up, you weren't even there. This is a LAPD officer who's talking to teens like this outside of uniform. I would hate to see what he did inside his uniform. This is how he acts over a simple incident of someone walking over his lawn. So the officer says that the, the young man said, uh, he was going to shoot him. The young man said, no, that's not what I said. I said I was going to kill you. But I assume this is why the officer is saying he was detaining the individual. But here's the thing, right? There was no imminent threat. There was no proof. There was no weapon brandished. Anything like that to suggest that this little kid was actually going to kill the officer where this officer can then articulate he felt in fear of his life based on that statement because really it's not illegal to say stuff like that, right? We've all said it. I'm going to kill you. I'll kill somebody. I'll kill an MF. We've all said stuff like that, right? But it's not illegal to say it. And in order to justify deadly force, there has to be deadly force presented. And there wasn't in this case. So, the officer can say it was a warning shot because there was a lot of kids around and I felt threatened. He can say all of that, but I think this officer was dead wrong. He is possibly facing charges uh, by Anaheim police. Keep in mind, he's a Los Angeles police department. So you have two agencies investigating this officer's actions and he may just face charges because let's think about what could have really happened. He pulls the gun out. 
his fingers on the trigger, and he shoots the kid, kills him. Oh, that wasn't my intent. I was going to fire a warning shot. Well, but you still killed him. And where is your justification why you killed him? Or let's say he fired a warning shot and it hit a three-year-old down the block. What's your justification? You felt threatened for your life because of the five-foot-two kid you were wrestling with? Or you could have just gone back into your house until backup got there, until the police in uniform got there? So now, based on that officer's actions, guess what happened in Anaheim? Protest. Riots. They vandalized the officer's house. All because this officer, who was off-duty decided to play Mr. Big, decided to go out and say, hey, I'm the police. You can't do this to me. I'm going to grab you. I'm going to detain you. And shoot, I'm going to fire a warning shot because I'm the police. I'm LAPD. It's not as if it's not bad enough that LAPD still has a bad rap from 1991 and 1994. That stuff hasn't gone away. And here we are in 2017 when this country is dealing with 99% of good officers doing good stuff and being crucified for it. You got this one idiot officer. And yes, I'm calling him an idiot because everything he did was just idiotic. You got this one officer who's making it bad for everyone else and making it look like the mainstream media is right, that white officers are just ruthless killers and they want to kill people and the kid was Hispanic, so I'm sure somebody's going to say it's racist. I'm not going to say it's racist. I'm going to compare this, and this is a first in history, I'm going to compare this to Trayvon Martin. That case wasn't about race. It was about George Zimmerman, who was an idiot, who had a gun and thought he was Billy Badass, just like this LAPD officer. That's what this case is about. I'd almost be willing to bet that if you check this LAPD's, LAPD officer's personnel file, there's probably one, two, or three complaints about excessive force or something like that. Violation of civil rights, something like that in his file. Because you can't convince me that on a sunny afternoon when you're off duty that something clicks in you where you just decide that you're going to prove that you are big and bad and you're the popo and nobody can walk on your grass because you're the popo. I guarantee if you look in this officer's personnel file, you're going to see some claims about excessive use of force or some complaints about something that officer did because that was beyond extreme to pull out your weapon, have it in the direction of a 13-year-old who was no threat to you, have it within inches of that 13-year-old, and pull the trigger. That could have gone so bad, so fast, over someone walking on your grass. And on that note, it's time for me to transition to the 10-7 segment and talk about a real officer who knew the meaning of what a police officer's job is to protect and serve. And I want to honor 
Deputy Chief James G. Malloy, New York City Police Department, end of watch, Monday, January 30th, 2017. Deputy James Malloy died of brain cancer that he contracted as a result of inhaling toxic materials as he participated in the rescue and recovery efforts at World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. On September 11, 2001, Deputy Chief Malloy was driving to work when authorities stopped traffic through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel as the towers burned and fell. As the towers collapsed, massive waves of toxic dust and debris flooded into the tunnel and Chief Malloy was covered in that dust where he contracted brain cancer. And here he is dying 16 years later. But he continued to protect and to serve the, the citizens of New York City despite knowing he had brain cancer. And he just died January 30th, 2017. A real hero, a real police officer. I honor him. Godspeed to you, sir. Thank you for your service. My prayers to your family. Thank you to the NYPD for allowing you to protect and serve. Thank you, my loyal listeners, for listening tonight. You can catch me immediately after the show on iTunes and next week exclusively right here, RadioInfluence.com, each and every Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm out of here. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is an Ian Beckles flavor in your ear quick fix on Radio Influence. It's so amazing when you watch these documentaries on O.J. Simpson and the trial because I lived through it. And as you live through it, you don't really see all the different details that were going on at the time. And when they break it down scientifically and they go through the different stages, it is amazing what happened on, in that trial. And I don't think I ever really understood the verdict until I watched this eight-hour special. And then it completely made sense. I mean, 100% made sense to me. You grow up in the hood, there's not many white people there. So, you know, he was embraced by black people. Ended up going to USC, uh, was a star there, turned things around, you know, won the Heisman, you know, beat some of the great teams. And then all of a sudden he was embraced by the white people. Okay. And he really almost alienated himself from black people. Then when all the shenanigans and tomfoolery went on with him and the alleged murder of Nicole and Ron Goldman, all of a sudden he was black again and the black people were embracing him. After watching this eight-hour special, it finally made sense to me why this whole thing came about. One of the jurors summed it up perfectly, okay? There was an old black lady. She was probably 70 years old, okay? And they interviewed her after the verdict, which was he was innocent or not guilty. He certainly wasn't innocent, but he was not guilty of the murder of Nicole and Ron Goldman. When they interviewed this juror, so the 70-year-old black woman, they asked her point blank, is the OJ verdict payback 
for the Rodney King verdict. And she looked in the camera, and it took no more than one second, and she said, yes. And I was like, dang, that's kind of crazy. But then they go back, and they rewind the whole thing, and they show the, the way things were going and the progression of it and going through the Rodney King verdict. And when you go back to the Rodney King verdict and you see the way it happened, I completely understand the OJ verdict. You can find Ian Beckles' Flavor in Your Ear on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.